0: I don't know if somebody told you that uh, when you got saved, your problems would go away, life would become easier, you'd never sin again, you ever heard all of that stuff? And about three days later, you said, What is wrong with me? Maybe three minutes later, you said, What is going on? All of a sudden, you realized that actually life was harder now than it used to be. You wondered why the Egyptians, or that, sorry, the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. All they could remember was the leeks and the onions and all of this stuff that and they forgot all about the toil and the taskmasters and the and the and the hard labor that they were under. But in the midst of the desert, in the midst of this hard part of their life, going to this promised land, they said, We want to go back. And that's what happens many times in our Christian life. Listen, the Christian life is difficult. Aside and, and aside from the grace of God and the power of God, it's impossible. And so many times we find ourselves discouraged in the Christian life because we've come into some hard times and frankly we just don't know what to do. You ever been there? Seem like attacked on every side. Somebody just told me this morning they were just having a just kind of a tough week. Just don't know why. Just kind of a tough week. And I said I know exactly what you mean. And I said there's been times Sherry and I would, would have days like that, we'd just say, we're just, what is the deal? Just in a funk today. What is going on? What is going on? And one of us would say, well, we need to turn some music on. And we'd go to our little internet phone, that phone that has the internet on it. And we might, there's a a couple great, uh, uh, great, um, uh, what are those called? Apps that have Um, radio stations from two different churches I know about. One's in California. The other one's in North Carolina. I like the one in North Carolina a little bit better. A lot more preaching on it. And I'm telling you, we'll have to go to that sometimes and just turn that on to bring some godly music in the house. And you'll, and you can just, it's just immediately the, the, the the oppression leaves that, that darkness leaves and everything goes away. And I'm telling you, it just, it's, you know what that is? It's spiritual. That's a spiritual battle. Satan's in the home. You say, oh, he's real. No, listen, Satan is a person. He is real. He was a created angel of God. And his. we're going to look at this today, but his goal is to mess your life up. And you better, you know, listen, the sooner you believe that, the better you're going to live in victory. And the better you're going to be more usable to God. And, and I better just get on to the message here because I'll go on here for a little bit and never get there. But that's what we're looking at today. We've been in this series, series essentially called We Need Armor." And we're in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to have Brother Jim read this every Sunday. Hopefully, by the end of our series, we'll have this whole section of Scripture memorized that we can be reminded of the armor that God has given us in the battle. And, and, and I hope there's another verse that you put to memory and begin to memorize over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 17, where Paul says, "...though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, I am so glad this morning, that as a, a born-again child of God, that I am a target of Satan. That's not what I'm glad about. What I'm glad about is that the battle we have against Satan is not in the physical realm, but it's in the, it's in the spiritual realm. You know what that means? I can win that battle. I can't win a physical battle against Satan. Do you see what he did to Job? you see what God allowed him to do to Job? He could do that to you as well if God allowed him. And there is not one thing we can do against it. We couldn't fight it. But you know what? Our battle against Satan is not carnal. It's not in the flesh. It's spiritual. And thank the Lord that God has given us us armor to withstand and He's given us a sword to fight. We have both defense and offense in our Christian life that must be employed. So we saw last week the first segment of the armor of God we saw last week was the truth of the Word of God. We were told to gird up "...to gird up our loins with truth." Verse 14, if you're there in Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 14. He says, "...stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness." And we saw last week that our loins girt about with truth... That, that, that girding about is, is a belt that that soldier, as Paul would have been familiar with, that Roman soldier would have had that belt that would have, into the Jewish culture, would have brought up those, that, that, those garments that were longer, those robes would have tied them up. They would have used that belt also to, to store, put their sword in to hold it, to keep it there. <clears throat> and here we're told in our armor that this belt the thing that holds everything up, that gives us mobility and the ability to move in the Christian life, is truth. It's the Word of God. And we, and we, uh, we challenged ourselves last week with the necessity of the Word of God in our life. Listen, if you are not in the Bible every day, if you are not reading the Word of God, and listen, we do not read the Word of God so we can be right with God. We are right with God in Jesus Christ. Listen, we are, we are already seated in, in the heavenlies by Christ Jesus. We are complete in Christ. But the reason that we're in the Word of God, the reason we're in the Word of God, is that it's the first aspect of our armor to withstand the wiles of the devil. Listen, if you don't know truth, you're not going to know when Satan's attacking you. And what you'll do, you'll turn to the flesh and you'll think it's a fleshly problem and you'll run after the world, you'll run after everything to satisfy this, this thing that's in your life that this you can't get over and it has nothing to do with buying a new car or buying a new clothes or buying another house or doing this or doing that or moving on. It has nothing to do with that at all in the Christian life. It may have everything to do with that you're being attacked by Satan and you just need to be, know how to, how to withstand against that and God's given us the armor to do that. But you've got to know truth. You've got to know the Word of God. So I hope some of you today and this week have made some changes in the pattern of your everyday life to get up earlier or to stay up later or to set aside some time during the day, that you whatever it is. That you've set aside time to be in the Word of God and to have God speak to you. Listen, that is truth. And every morning that you do that, every day that you do that, you're girding up, you're girding up those things. You're tying up those things that easily beset us, that things that that, that keeps our mobility, you're tying those things up with why. So you can battle, so you can fight. You've got to have a time in the Word of God. You've got to be there. And we saw that last week. I hope you're doing that. I hope you have a, you're thinking of a pattern to memorize the Word of God. I hope you have Scripture, maybe on index cards around your house or in your automobile or wherever it may be, memorizing the Word of God. I've got some things we're going to buy for the beginning of next year for our church. Uh, there, there are bookmarks. Or may not, may, they may not be bookmarks, but they're a calendar of your yearly Bible reading that you can check off. You know three chapters a day? You can go through your Bible in a year easily. Three chapters a day. It's not hard to do. It's not hard to do. You know what I found out? When you set aside a time every morning and you get into a pattern of reading your Bible, it's easy to go not just three chapters, but four and five and six. You just read. You get in it and you just want to keep going. I'm telling you, the Word of God is exciting, folks. If you're not excited about it, you've got to get in there. There's a lot of neat stuff that goes on there. Talking donkeys, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We need the Word of God. You've got to have the Word of God. It's the first aspect to the armor of God. And I've told you, like the fruit of the Spirit, there's nine aspects to the fruit of the Spirit. There are five segments here to the armor of God. If you're missing any of these, listen, you're an open target. Essentially, the armor is not on you. But it starts with truth. And today we're going to look at the second segment of this, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I want to remind you this morning that God loves us. How many agree with that? Can you say amen? Hey, good! You're awake. Wonderful. How many can agree with me? I, I, I like that. That's how I'm going to try. I'm going to push that button again. How many can say can agree that Satan hates us? Can you agree with that? Amen. You better believe that he does. And you know we have been given everything. We've been given everything in Christ Jesus. You know, Colossians chapter one says twelve through eighteen. The Bible says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now listen to this, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We've been moved from darkness to light. In verse 14, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible? the firstborn of every creature. Now notice that right there, that term. Firstborn of every creature. We're going to look at that for here in a second. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Now listen to this. And He is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence? In both verse fifteen and verse eighteen, we see that term, the firstborn of every creature. You know, first that word, firstborn, may, means there he is the Jesus Christ has the right of inheritance. We're going to look tonight in Genesis chapter. Uh, I think we're going to be in twenty-five tonight when Jacob and Esau are going to be born tonight, but to, to Rachel and uh, and to Isaac. And Esau is going to sell his birthright. Esau came out and he had the right of the firstborn, which means the firstborn gets the inheritance, he gets everything. And the Bible says here in, in, in Ephesians that, G, or in Colossians that Jesus is the firstborn, the firstborn of every creature. So what does that mean? He is the right of the firstborn. Unlike the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that Jesus Christ was created, He is not created being. He is very God. He existed. He created everything. And the Bible says that by Him and for Him were all things created. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, watch in the beginning, was, past tense, the word, in the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Bible goes on to say in John 1 that He created all things that, there, that were. Jesus is not a created being. He was not created like Satan. Satan is not His brother. Jesus created Satan. And this is what this is talking about, the firstborn of every creature, means that Jesus has the right of the firstborn. He inherits all of it. It's all His. Now think about this. We've been given everything in Jesus Christ. Everything. In Romans chapter 8, if you go back and look at this sometimes, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, the Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, listen to this, they are the sons of God. If you're saved this morning, you're a child of God this morning. We are sons of God. And Paul goes on to say, For if ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness in our spirit that we are the children of God. And he goes on in verse 17, he says this, And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Listen, if you are in Christ Jesus this morning, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, if there is a day in your life where you humbled your heart before God, admitted you were a sinner, uh, repented before Him and asked Him to save you, And believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved this morning. You're indwelt by the Spirit of God this morning. You're a child of God this morning. Hold on, hey, are you awake? This is good news. Good place to say amen. You are filled by the Spirit of God this morning, and you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You have inherited everything that Christ has. That's great news. And you know what? Satan hates that. He hates it. He hates it. He's taken everything away from Satan and essentially given it to a bunch of people who continue to sin and and sin and defame His name. And God continues to bless. Why? Because we're in Christ Jesus. Because we're joint heirs with Him. In Isaiah chapter 14, we get a glimpse of Satan in Isaiah 14. When, When it says, How art thou fallen? In verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? If you would go over to Ezekiel chapter 28, you can write this chapter down sometime. Go back and study this. Verses 13 through 19, we see the king of Tyre. And we see that there is a, he is a, being likened unto Satan in this chapter of Ezekiel 28. And then we see this example, this explanation, this illustration of Satan here in Ezekiel 28. And I had to write this whole thing down, and it says this. Ezekiel said, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Satan was beautiful. His covering was the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle. Now, I think of barnacles, so that doesn't really sound like it. Anybody know what a barnacle is on the bottom of a ship? That's why they paint the bottom of the ships red, to keep the barnacles from attaching to them. Anyway, that's a little bit of useless information that rattles around in my head. But I think of that when I see the carbuncle. I don't know why. It's got to be beautiful, and probably not like a barnacle. The gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes, his voice, his pipes, was prepared in thee. And the day that thou wast created, God made him for a purpose. Jesus Christ created Satan and he was absolutely beautiful and he had a purpose and his voice was beautiful. He says, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned, and thou hast sinned, therefore will I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings. Uh, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled the sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And they shall know thee among the people. I'm sorry. And they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be... Anymore, and if you looked in Isaiah fourteen verses twelve through fourteen again, you see the beauty that Satan was created in. You see the the position that Satan has, and when iniquity was found in him, he was cast out of heaven. And a third of the angels he took with himself. In Isaiah fourteen twelve through fourteen, Isaiah says, "How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning?" How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart... Notice this, he didn't say this out loud. This was spoken in his heart. He didn't have the guts to say it out loud. I will, but he didn't. <laughs> obviously, he wasn't all-knowing to know enough that God knows what he th- thinks in his heart as well. He said, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and the sides of the north. I will ascend upon the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. And we see in these passages that it is Satan's goal to dethrone God. That's his purpose, and that is his goal through Isaiah. Notice again the five I wills that Satan says here in Isaiah 12. He says, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That word Most High there is El Elyon. And here Satan is even acknowledging that there is none above El Elyon. There is none above the Almighty God. There is none above Jehovah God. He acknowledges this and then he says he's going to be just like him. (laughs) What a fool. But I, you know what you see from this? Satan's goal is clear. It's clear. He's out to dethrone a king. And now, when an enemy seeks to dethrone the king from his kingdom, now follow this, all of the inhabitants of that kingdom become a target. Everybody becomes a target. The king is the enemy and so is everyone else in the kingdom you see that you know what Satan loves to do he loves to bring a propaganda campaign when an enemy puts out information to weaken and demoralize their foe just I think it was was that Wednesday night uh, Andrew was in in my office and I forgot what he even said brother Tim he said something about always I always do that and I said oh always I said you know that's a great word of propaganda did you know that he goes yep I said he probably did. He's no dummy, right? Uh, Always, never. Great propaganda tools. Uh, Satan is the master of propaganda. He is the master of it. You know, propaganda is, is disseminated. Watch what he does. He takes propaganda, he disseminates it to the children of the king so as to look at their father unfavorably unfavorably not bububably that's good to look at to look at their father unfavorably and thus walk away from the battle no this is what satan does he listen he puts thoughts and words and ideas into our mind that's why we take every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ but he puts thoughts and things into our mind and into our surroundings that make us question our heavenly father it's propaganda And I think it is the propaganda of Satan that is probably one of the most successful things that he does in his fight against the kingdom of God. You want evidence? Hath God said, he told Eve? Has any of you ever experienced the results of sin in your life? You know where that started? Hath God said? Eve, you know what he went on to say? God didn't say that. (laughs) In the day that thou eatest of thou shalt surely die. God didn't say that. That's not what he meant. In one part, Satan was right. God didn't say that you weren't to touch the tree. On the other part, he did say, yeah, you're going to die. They died spiritually that day. And the physical beginning of death started in their life. And though they live to be about 900 and some years old, they're not here today, folks. They're dead. They're dead. Satan is constantly using the Word of God to twist for his propaganda. And Christians, listen, Christians are walking away every day believing the lies of the devil because they don't know the truth. Just because they're not equipped with the truth. Jesus said, you do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Do you know if Israel had knew, known the Scriptures, they would have known the Messiah? I heard somebody say just last, this week, they, they thought it was absolutely uh, amazing that people, they're, they're pretty much enemies of the Word of God, go back to Jewish tradition to try to, 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 to prove, prove things in the Bible. Well, see, the Jews believe this and the Jews believe that. Wait a minute, the Jews rejected the Messiah. I wouldn't call them the paragon of a great source of information of the truth of the Word of God. Well, rabbis said this passage probably means this. Well, they also missed Christ. And many of them still miss Christ. Yeah. You need to know the Word of God. We're told to gird up our loins with truth. And if listen, if we don't know what truth is, Satan's lies will get us every time. Every time. I hope you've, again, taken time to make a change in your life beginning this week. To be students of the Word of God. We've got to know truth. No, Satan is your enemy and you must know truth. He's a propagandist. He's the best that ever was. And you have to know truth. But that's not what we're looking at today. Remember, we're looking at the breastplate of righteousness. You're like, I forgot what we were looking at. I'm gonna, We're going to get there. I'm trying, to lay, I'm trying to lay a foundation here. Satan is the enemy and he hates you. And he hates your God. That's what I love about, I don't love it, I marvel at people that are just believing Christians, supposedly, that are so enamored with the world and so enamored with Hollywood, so enamored with this actor and this actress, and all they live, I'm like, do you realize if they really knew you in your relationship to Jesus Christ, they wouldn't like you either. They need to be born again. They, I pray that they, every one of them comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but they're not, they don't love you. Yeah. We're in a battle. And a part of the armor, the next segment of the armor is after truth, is the breastplate of righteousness. Hopefully we can move. Boy, that took a long time to get through that. <laughs> the breastplate of Righteousness. Look at verse fourteen again. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Satan is our enemy. We must know truth. But secondly, the second aspect of our of our armor is the breastplate of righteousness. When Paul was writing this, the typical Roman soldier would have been wearing what was called the lorica segmentata. <laughs> yeah, I just look it up. Hopefully, the pronunciation's right. I, did, I took two years of Italian in high school. Yeah. Molta bene, right? Yeah, see? Yeah, see? Yeah. And uh, that's all I remember. I can say hello in 25 languages. And uh, this aspect that the Roman soldier would have worn in Paul's day was this metal. You've seen pictures of it this piece of metal that they wore over them. And it's probably one of the most recognizable pieces of armor that was worn to cover the torso of that soldier. Do you know that this piece of armor was implemented beginning, they, they assume, in about 20 B.C. 20 B.C. and used all the way up to about the 3rd century A.D. before they switched to more of that metal type of a mail, that woven metal that, that, that they would put over them. So this metal, this, this metal piece of armor, that breastplate that they wore over the torso, it was heavy. It was pretty heavy. Now, obviously in those days, uh, you know, there's not going to be some computer geek out there fighting battles with uh, armor on, you know. Uh, they, they weren't going to be able to move too well on that. Uh, some gamer, a gamer was probably not going to be wearing the uh, lorica Segmentata, okay, Probably not going to be a, so. It was heavy, but yeah, the men wearing it probably, I'm assume, could handle this. But not only was it, it was uncomfortable. But I, I, here's another thing I got thinking. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but probably not as uncomfortable as a sword running through your sternum and out your back. That's probably a little more uncomfortable. So I think I might go ahead and take the metal thing, right? Kind of drag that thing around with me, right? And uh, you ever seen those, those things when the arrow goes through somebody and they like break it off and they pull it out and you're like, ah, I think I'll take the heavy metal thing. That's, you know, I'll take some chafing on the shoulders. It'll be okay. If anybody ever read the far side, you ever remember the far side? Oh yeah. You got to be about as weird as me to like the far side. And, uh, there's this big ship of this big Viking ship, you know, and these guys are rowing and rowing. And There's one little scrawny guy, and he's like, excuse me, I think I'm getting a blister, you know. And, uh, yeah, that'd be me. It was heavy. It was uncomfortable. There, the, these, these big pieces of metal, they required a lot of, they required a lot of uh, maintenance and upkeep. They were sewn together with pieces of leather and brass, and they would be clipped together in the back. And I would think they would rust. I guess you'd keep them oiled or something. You know, you don't want a rusty, rusty breastplate. And, uh, but it was almost completely impervious to be penetrated by any weapon. You couldn't get a sword to go through it. You couldn't get an arrow to go through it. A dart couldn't go through it. It worked. It worked very well. No, this is this is the this is the uh, the the where Paul is coming from. This is what he's this is what he has seen. If we were to write this today, this passage today, we'd probably talk about a flak jacket. Where wherefore put on the whole flak jacket of God? You know that just doesn't sound as cool. Okay, I'm sorry, it just doesn't sound as good. But the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was used to cover the upper torso. We know that. And it protected all of the vital organs. The lungs, the liver, the spleen. Right? The appendix. Might be okay to have that thing stabbed and brought out of you, right? They do it a lot better way nowadays. (laughs) Your intestines. It's nice to have those protected. But above all, that breastplate of righteousness, that breastplate in the Roman times, protected the heart. No, you, you, you might be able to survive some damage to the liver, the spleen, the intestines, the, the, the lungs. I, I mean, probably not. But here's the one thing we do know. You are not going to survive damage to the heart. That arrow goes right through here. No, you're done. You're done. That sword... You ever seen those things they call a morning star? That big massive ball with spikes on it? Oh, could you imagine? Getting, I'd be like, man, drop a bomb on me, please. That thing's got to hurt. The Civil War was, I mean, these, this was agony. Some would lay there for days, dying. I bet they wish they had a breastplate. <laughs> yeah. Where was I? I hate when I do this. Oh, yeah, it protects the heart. Protects the heart. No, that's a death blow, the heart. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the spiritual application. Remember, our our fight with Satan isn't flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And right here, Paul is bringing up this aspect of the armor, this, this armor that we have, this spiritual armor, that he calls the breastplate. And it's the protection of the heart that I believe Paul is the most concerned with here. The protection of the heart. Listen, saints, if Satan can get your heart and get you, if he can get you away from truth, let me start it this way, if Satan can get you away from truth, he will take your heart. He will take it. The scripture is loaded with examples of people's hearts that were hardened and taken from God. Do you remember David was a man after God's own heart? And even after many failures of David, after great sin in David's life, not moral failings. You ever see somebody nowadays, I don't know what other churches are like, but a missionary comes off the field sadly or a pastor resigns sadly and they say, well, he had a moral failing. No, he sinned. He fell into wicked sin and he chose to. And if you do that or I do that, it's the same thing. Don't, Don't... Listen... Sugar coating or the wickedness of sin helps nobody. It helps nobody. And listen, uh, the old days, uh, the, the script, spiritual aspect of bringing it before the church, you know, that what, did, what did Paul say that others may fear? <laughs> it helps. Help keeps us straight sometimes when we're just honest with what happens. David sinned. And Nathan came to him and pointed out exactly what he was doing in his sin. And even though he, was a, he sinned and he had many failures, God still said he was a man after his own heart. David was a great sinner, but he was a great repenter. His heart always desired God, though many times his flesh was weak. And it was David... Listen, David died with a heart to, to build a temple. But Solomon's heart was stolen by his many foreign wives. No, they both had truth. But one wrote the Psalms, David. And after writing Proverbs, the other wrote Ecclesiastes. Which is life, looking at life through the eyes of a backslidden man. Look at Ecclesiastes sometimes. All vanity of vanity. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. This was at the end of, end of Solomon's life. And look at the last descriptions of Ecclesiastes. This is all life amounts to for Solomon. The, the almond tree has budded. That's the, the picture of the white head. The eyes, the windows are, you can't see out the windows anymore. Look at all this imagery he builds. The windows that you can't see out of them. what his eyes are going dim. I can't hear the music anymore, Solomon says. What he's losing the hearing of his ears. He goes, I can I taste food and I don't t- Taste, nothing tastes anymore. What, the, his, his taste is, is going away from him. What, what is his deal here? He's getting older. No, this is the end of Solomon's life after his, after his heart was stolen. He looks under the sun and says, all is vanity and vexation of spirit and I'm just going to get old and die. What a miserable way to live. No, David had a heart for God and he died with a heart for God. And Solomon, who built the temple, was not David. Remember, David was followed by Solomon, who built the temple, his son. Solomon was followed by who? Rehoboam, who split the kingdom. Look at the difference. It was David who said in the 139th psalm Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts. This was the heart of David. Search my heart. In Ecclesiastes 1.17, Solomon says, I gave my heart to know, to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly. And I perceive this also as vexation of spirit. Look at the difference in heart. And ironically, the one who wrote in the Proverbs, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, is the same one who we read about in 1 Kings chapter 11. When it says, but King Solomon loved many strange wives, foreigners. They were not Israelites. No, not just foreigners, because many foreigners, Ruth, <laughs> came to a saving knowledge of uh, in God. They believed. They believed God. Many, many non-Jews came to Christ. Actually, that was the purpose of them in our day. What we would say today came to Christ. But not King Solomon. He loved many strange women. It says, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. And it goes on to the end in verse 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. No, watch. Solomon Solomon builds the temple. He asks God for wisdom and God gives him wisdom. It's, it's an amazing thing at the dedicatory prayer of the temple. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And he says, God, we need you and we want you here. And we want your presence. And God said, I heard you. And as long as you follow me, I'll be there. I mean, you, we, the Queen of Sheba, the half has not been told. The wisdom of Solomon, the, the, the keeping of your people, their clothes, their garments, their joy, their happiness. This is a wonderful place. And then by 1 Kings, we see he is offering incense to other gods how does that happen same way it happens in the life of a believer today the heart gets stolen solomon was brought up by david a man after god's own heart and god gave solomon wisdom like he like solomon asked for but wisdom only gives you the ability to see right and to know what is right. Now listen to this. Wisdom gives you the ability to know what is right. It is the heart that gives you the ability to do right. Proverbs 3.1 Solomon says this in his younger days My son, forget my, not my law but let thine heart keep my commandments let the heart keep them let me say it again wisdom is the ability to know the right but it takes a heart to do the right and if Satan can get your heartless and you're finished did Solomon come back Not, not very well not very well so this is the purpose of the breastplate for the Christian to keep no to protect the heart your heart is Satan's target. He wants it. So what is the breastplate for the Christian? And we'll be done. What is it? This is a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. It's not something we see. It's not, uh, like I said last week, it's not the holy underwear that the Mormons use. It's, it's not any type of special rag that's been anointed with oil that, that uh, Jim Jones or uh, Copeland or anybody else has prayed over. It's nothing like that. It's not a physical, visible ar- article. The breastplate of righteousness is obedience. Listen to what Webster's 1828 dictionary says on righteousness. Righteousness is this, the purity of the heart and rectitude of life, conformity of heart and life to the divine, to the divine law. Righteousness as used in Scripture and in theology, in which it is chiefly used, is nearly equivalent to holiness, comprehending holy principles and affections of heart, and conformity of life to the divine law. It includes all we call, it includes all we call justice, honesty, virtue, and with holy affections. In short, it is true religion. True religion. Conformity to the, of life. No, the breastplate of righteousness, watch, is right. Doing. How do we put on armor? Do right. (laughs) How do we protect from the from the darts of Satan? Do right. Just do what you're supposed to do. It, It is righteousness. It's doing right. It's obeying God. So watch this. The breastplate of righteousness. Watch. 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 Is put on every time we obey God. It's put on by doing. You can't just put it on by not doing by not doing on the reverse of the other means that you have it all. James 1:22 but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Listen, when you cease to obey the word of God, you begin the process of deceiving yourself. And eventually you believe that the thing that you while the thing that you once knew was sin, you knew it was. Eventually it becomes no longer sin to you. Why? You've deceived yourself so long. You've deceived yourself so long in disobedience. They think, oh well. How many of you can look back just among any stripe of Baptist church 30 years ago and say, something's changed? Something's changed. You know what happens? Deception. Deception. Oh, it's not about all what you do. It's, no, it's not. It, you know, no, about what we do is, has everything to do with, with the breastplate of righteousness and being protected from the onslaught of Satan because he wants your heart. Philippians 4.9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, Jesus says. And the God of peace shall be with you. Paul wrote that. Listen, folks, obedience is the foundation of the gospel. In Matthew 28, when Jesus said, Go therefore into all the world and pre- and, uh, uh, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus said this, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. Amen. That's part of the gospel. What? Teaching people to do what Jesus commanded. Now watch this. Notice again what P- P- Paul said in verse 11 above here. Put on the whole armor of God. It's a command, isn't it? Put on. That's a command. Now notice this. Victory over sin. Victory over Satan's attacks at the heart begin with the obedience. Put on. And continues with obedience. It begins with obedience and it continues with obedience. So watch this. Every time that you obey the word of God, you are doing righteousness and every time you choose to do righteousness you are putting on the breastplate of righteousness is that simple is that pretty simple you you, you get that how do you protect your heart from satan obey just obey god what are you doing when you're obeying god you're putting a shield over your heart that the 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 onslaught of the enemy cannot get to and can I tell you something? The armor, the breastplate of righteousness that God gives us is stronger than any, anything that has ever been made or created or built upon this planet. Satan cannot get through it. It is not possible for him to get through this. Yeah. Listen, the moment that you are confronted with something to obey and you don't obey, the reverse is true. You have put off the breastplate of righteousness and now you're open to the enemy. You see, holiness and obedience to God and obedience to the Word of God and living like a Christian and acting like a believer and acting like our Heavenly Father and doing what He says to do and obeying Him isn't about God being a killjoy it's about God trying to, try, trying to uh, uh, keep the joy in your life that He gave you. Let me put it that way. No, Jesus said, I came to give you life and gave it, came to give it more abundantly. No, Jesus wants you to have the joy of the Lord in your life. And you know what takes, steals the joy? When your heart has been pierced by the arrows of the devil how does that happen when we stopped obeying the armor gets put aside no we take it off it's our choice to put it on and when we disobey it becomes our choice to take it off and we put it off and we disobey and the arrows come in and the heart gets wounded by Satan it all begins with truth girding up your loins with truth But it has to be moved to obedience. Do you know if any segment of this armor is missing from our life? We're an open target for Satan's darts. And listen, I'm telling you, he can hit the smallest opening there is. (laughs) He's good, he has got a great shot. So, what is the breastplate of righteousness? It's right doing. Just do right. Can I tell you something? How many people I notice today that don't know what right is? Isn't this a weird generation we're living in? People wanting to come join, join a church, be involved while they're living together in sin, unmarried and have children. No, just and thinking nothing's wrong with that whatsoever. And I understand that. We, we have to have grace with that and patience. It's just the day we live in. And we hopefully slowly get to teach them the Word of God and make changes. And the Holy Spirit works in their life and they begin to make changes. But listen, it starts right in the pulpits. People have gone from preaching to sharing. They don't have the truth of the Word of God. They don't have the information to even know what is right and wrong. And they're making wrong choices, which means they put the armor off. And when the armor is off, they're hit by Satan. Their heart is stolen. And it's just an awful cycle. So you've got to know truth before you can obey truth. You've got to. Listen, God wants, God wants joy in your life. Do you, Listen, those of you who have had children, do you, do you want them miserable? Now, the kids think you do. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they, they think you're a total killjoy. It's like, no, I want you to have joy and not get run over by a car. No, I, I want you to enjoy life, so I don't want you going here or doing this or doing that. or do... And to the child, it seems like, no, 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 you know. But to the parent, it's like, no, I want you to have joy. Joy, 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 joy. Because that's going to rob your joy. There's no joy in being in jail. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> there, there's no joy to that. God wants us to have Joy in our Christian life. Let's make some application and we're done. How's your heart this morning? Ask yourself this. Do you have a desire, an inner desire, to obey God? Or when something comes up, do you go, ooh, Do the hackles go up? When some crazy preacher goes, you ought to be doing this and you ought to be doing that and you should quit doing this, you know, do you go, or do you go, well, I don't know how that's going to work, but I know I need to. (laughs) No, what's your heart? No, that's a heart issue. That's what it all comes back to. That's what it all comes back to. Let me ask, here, here's a test. When you read your Bible and you come across something that needs to be obeyed, what's your first reaction? Is your first reaction this? Ooh, I'm not doing this. I I should be doing this. Is that your first reaction? Or is your first reaction, that nah, doesn't apply to me. That's Old Testament. Old Testament. I love that one works every time. Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. The moral laws have no application to us. God morally changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. No, He didn't. (laughs) Or maybe you say this, "If, if I did this, I couldn't do this. If I came to church like God has commanded me to every time the doors are open, I couldn't go do this or do that. Or because that guy just rants on for... 15 minutes past 12, I'm going to tell you this again. I'm just helping you out. I'm, I am helping your joy this morning. You will get to the restaurant after the Presbyterians, and it'll be clear and open, and you can get right in and out. See, I'm helping your joy. See? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm really not. I don't do this on purpose. Mostly. No, what's your heart? No, it's all about it's all about your heart. It's all about my heart. Why do I do what I do? Why do we do what you do? Maybe your reaction to the Word of God is just, maybe your reaction to this message this morning is just this. No. No. You can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can scream however you want. I don't care. No. I'm not doing it. That's fine. You're not telling me no. You're telling God no. If you're a Christian here this morning and you do not have a heart to obey God, maybe you can remember when you did. Remember when you did? Remember when it didn't matter who was preaching or what was going on at the church house, you wanted to be there? Some of you are still like that. It's wonderful. Some aren't. Remember that was like when you had a heart heart for God? Maybe you're here this morning, you, have, you don't have that heart to, rego- to, to, to obey God. You know what you've done? You've removed that breastplate of righteousness. And you most likely this morning have spiritual darts and arrows hanging out of your body everywhere. They're just piercing your soul. They're coming out of your heart. And sometimes when pain sticks around long enough, sometimes you forget that you're hurt anymore. No, you can forget that you've lost joy. You've become so used to it. You ever hurt for so long, then actually the hurt finally goes away, and you're like, oh, wow, actually, I don't hurt. huh?" <laughs> yeah, I forgot who it was told. Oh, a cousin of mine said there's a ringing in his ear because of his military service that never, ever, 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 ever goes away because I've gotten used to it now. He goes, actually, every once in a while, he said, it'll go away for a few minutes, for just a little bit. I'm like, oh, hey, that's gone. And then back it comes. You get used to it. No, we get dead to it. We get calloused to it. The heart gets calloused. Do you know if we're ever going to know the joy and the victory that God desires us to know, the breastplate of righteousness must be put on and it must stay on. You want joy in your life? Tired of dragging around? Do you have your breastplate on this morning? Is it on? Strapped down, ready to go? Yeah, I hope so. Why don't we stand this morning? Father, I want to thank you for the simplicity of your word. And God, I ask you that your Holy Spirit would do his work this morning. And I pray for those that may be here. And I, as you know, Lord, I have to search my own heart and make sure my heart and my desires are still for you. We can get so caught up in the machinery of religion and lose our heart as well. So, Father, would you help us? Would you restore hearts today? I pray that those that you are dealing with this morning would come to you and whatever they need to do, that they would do it that they might know the joy of the Lord again, that they might be usable, that they might rejoice in thee. We pray you do a work and that we'd stand firm against Satan. He's real. We know what he is. We know he is. Would you help us? Lord, have your will and your way in the invitation, please. In Jesus' name, amen. While your heads are